Lead and Be Legendary presents A Name Tag is Necessary. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode of A Name Tag is Necessary. I am your host, Name Tag Alexander. Before we jump into this episode, I'm going to put a link in the description for y'all to go ahead and click on to check out some of the merch that I have available through the Lead and Be Legendary website, uh, through Store Envy, actually. So when you click on the link, check out some merch and order some of that merch. Go ahead and order some of that merch. You got you a nice little tax return. Go ahead and put something down. Grab you a t-shirt. Grab some of the vinyl that's out for the In Good Timing EP. Uh, we actually got some merch coming soon for Marvel of the Mind. Shout out to Peace of Mind for that. We were just talking about it uh, recently, but not to spend too much time on that as far as merch. This episode here is important. If you happen to be a music artist, uh, whether that be a songwriter, a music producer, or if someone writes for you and you're a recording artist only, um, this episode we're going to talk about what the PROs are. Those and also music royalties. You've probably heard it countless times again, uh, scrolling through social media and seeing conversations come up about royalties or people not being paid their royalties. We're going to break this down in this episode. And now I'm not going to wing this. I'm not going to freestyle it. So I took down notes and I'm going to be reading the notes from off of my phone because I did not sit down and study this shit. So like I said, we're going to go based off of the notes that I took down or, ju or just kind of put in my own words for the most part to explain what music royalties and the performing rights organizations. But for short, we'll just call them PROs. <clears throat> now, as we get into it, what is a PRO? Now, by collecting royalties on behalf of the rights owner, which would be the, the person of that song or, or, or the, the copyright holder, I guess, but that's, that's another part of the episode that we're gonna get into. But like I said, by collecting royalties on behalf of the rights owner, a PRO, once again, a performing rights organization, makes sure that composers and publishers are compensated for the use of their music. A performing rights organization is an organization basically collecting and distributing the royalties for the public performance of a musical work um, or musical works for that matter. They license the public performance of copyrighted music in a variety of media, such as that could be uh, radio, television, live performances, or more so today, streaming, or if you're still uh, downloading music, digital downloads. Now, who are the main PROs? You've heard these names before if you're a music artist. Uh, the three main performing rights organizations are ASCAP, BMI and SASAC, or, or it might be CSAC. I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I'm, we're going to go with SASAC. These organizations work to pretty much ensure that the composers, or I guess, well, composers, I guess you could say, like, um, well, no, we'll call them composers because you got might you know, people that might play instruments for the most part, or, or if you're just a flat out music producer. But the composers, lyricists, and publishers are compensated for the public performance of their works. Now, to get into the the meat pause of the uh, episode what are music royalties music royalties are payments made to songwriters performers and the copyright holders for the right to use their music they're paid whenever a song is played on the radio streamed online or used in um, a physical product which could be considered like film or tv or or video game for the most part and, and we're going to jump into a little bit more of that later in the episode now you have two types of music rights. Hold on, let me get some water real quick. Hold on. Voice begin scratchy as hell when recording. Now there are two types of music rights. Any piece of music that's ever been recorded, 
has two different sets of music rights that are um, associated with it. You have the composition. That's the first one. That's basically like the harmony um, or the melody or the lyrics, which are protected by the copyright of the songwriters and their music publishers. Um, every time any any original piece of music, whether it's on the, uh, you could have written it on a notepad, it could be sheet music, or even if, if it was a tweet, that's the, or if, as long as it's published in physical form, the composition copyright is acquired. Then you have the master. We always hear about this. People, you know, seeking to own their masters. Recording artists and their record companies, if there's a record deal in place, own the master. The copyright for the specific representation of those masters, that's pretty much formed uh, once it's turned into a sound recording. That's basically what the masters is. Now, getting back to what the royalties are. You got six. This I didn't know myself. A lot of this stuff that I be... Um, talking about on a podcast when it comes to information like this is i've either uh retained this information known about it for some time shared it amongst my circles of friends you know homies or, or other music artists uh homies and then a lot of this information i learn it and as i'm learning it i'm sharing that information once i've done enough research like i said i didn't know there were six different types of royalties um but one you have streaming royalties <clears throat> Music streaming royalties are pretty much payments that are made to the artists, the songwriters, and the record labels. Once again, that's if a record deal is in place for the use of their music on a streaming platform, such as, uh, you know, the, the usual suspects, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, so on and so forth. These royalties are typically calculated based on the number of streams that a specific song receives on any of these given platforms. And they're paid out on a per stream basis through a percentage. And we know how we feel about that percentage when it comes to Spotify or, or hell, all of them for the most part. Apple Music, whatever, you name it. That percentage ain't that high. Um, you always see that point zero zero zero. Not a great percentage, but that's how it's paid out. It's on a per stream basis or through a percentage of the revenue that's generated through that streaming service the amount of the royalties earned by a musician or songwriter depends again it depends on how many factors including the popularity of that music the terms of the recording contract once again this is if a record deal is in place and the revenue share agreement between that streaming platform and the rights holders now if you go back we were just talking about the master uh, rights and the composition rights then the second type you have neighboring rights and royalties. This one I wasn't too familiar with, so you know, bear with me as I kind of explain this one. The copyright owner, again, these are neighboring rights and royalties. The copyright owners of the sound recording, performers, and or, again, here we go, talk about those deals in place, the record labels get neighboring royalties. As a result, they're considered neighbors to performing rights from a legal standpoint, hence the name neighboring rights. The PROs in each market collect neighboring rights, which are then given to the owners of the sound recordings. If the public performance qualifies for neighboring royalties uh, collection because to a combination of the recording artist's uh, nationality, the nature of the public performance, and the country where the recording was made. So you heard that pretty much right. It's based off like nationality and the country where this recording was made. I don't know 100% about the nationality part, but I know for sure with the country, it, it, it matters. Um, 
So in essence of that, the compensation for neighboring rights is heavily influenced by local law. To offer you just one, and this is the most typical um, picture we could paint it is terrestrial radio in the United States. Again, in the United States. And this this has been a debate. I don't wanna get too sidetracked about this, but I've always heard this debate about um, terrestrial radio not paying out royalties. But then on the flip side, I've heard people say that terrestrial radio does pay out royalties. Well, in this case, when it comes to neighboring rights, terrestrial radio in the United States doesn't pay royalties to the owners of sound recordings, although airing in other nations does. Meaning, if your music is played in other countries, then you can get paid for that, the neighboring rights and the royalties. But nope, not in the United States. So it just makes me think about like, you know, uh, back in the day like being an artist and you you pushing like we used to do this thing like we used to always uh push like to uh text <laughs> we used to always promote like hey text this number in the name of my single to whatever like the number would be for like uh in detroit it, it was wjlb and hot 107.5 uh, i guess in this case it was more so hot 107.5 later on down the line but we was always pushing like text the uh this text to this number in the name of my single to high 107.5 or get them to play my single whatever we just kept running the ground just kept doing it but now i'm thinking about it like damn like yeah it's dope to get played on radio because that's where a lot of people still get their music from when they're hearing new music through terrestrial radio right but you think about it like damn like artists and, and somebody correct me if i'm wrong on this but i, I like i said i've been doing some research on it and i keep seeing it more that terrestrial radio doesn't pay out royalties um, to artists, but like I say, once again, in other countries they do. Anyway, not to get winning on that. Somebody got anything to kind of uh, be a, a fact check on that as far as royalties not being paid out in the U.S. when it comes to radio? Then correct me on it. I'm I'm open to being corrected. Whatever. Just going based off what I've uh, been looking up and and having these conversations in regards to that. Now, number three, digital performance royalties. The U.S. law that exempt sound recording owners that's what this is that's what digital performance royalties is it's basically u.s law that exempts sound recording owners from payment for radio airplay only implies once again that am and fm terrestrial radio this implies that cable radio satellite radio and digital internet radio they do pay the master owners so if your music is getting played once again on cable radio which i assume that's like if you um if you got xfinity uh, when you go further up in the channels, like in the, uh, it's further down. I, for, I forget which channels it is, but it's it's a whole line of stations where they just play nothing but music. It's, it's the audio of it, and then they have like a little visualizer or whatever for it. But that's what that pretty much is. Cable radio, uh, satellite radio, digital internet radio, they pay the master owners royalties. They pay out royalties to the master owners, I should say. Since the usage for digital performance royalties is so specialized, it's simpler to use a different name and maintain the perception that the United States doesn't recognize uh, the neighbor, which is the neighboring rights. We were talking that was the second one we were talking about. Um, this means that digital performance royalties can be deemed neighboring rights payments because, in a sense, it still is paying out royalties, right, based off of um, radio play, but it's not standard radio playing in the U.S. That's what I got from it. The U.S. government has created and authorized a collection society called Sound Exchange, 
I'm going to do an episode on that, too. It's not going to be too long of an episode, but I want to do an episode uh, breaking down what sound exchange is and why it's important that you register. If you're a music artist, why it's important that you register your music through sound exchange, whether you're a songwriter or a recording artist, register with sound exchange. We'll get into that within one of the later episodes. Um, sound exchange is for the purpose of collecting royalties for digital performance, pretty much. And we just explain what digital performance royalties are. Recording artists, record companies, and session musicians, like I just said, must register with sound exchange in order to earn digital performance royalties i remember i got a check out of nowhere it was um it might have been off the tag alexander ep i want to say i dropped that in like 2014 and you, you just i get so used to just releasing music it just it becomes like breathing you just constantly putting out music forgetting that you know just out of habit registering the music with sound exchange and ended up getting a check later down the line from like oh what is this for? I look, oh damn, this, as a matter of fact, I want to say that was around the first time I started registering my music with Sound Exchange was like as much music as I had put out prior to that. I want to say like 2013, 2014 is when I started finally registering my own music through Sound Exchange. But yeah, you got to do that in order to get those digital performance royalties. Um, and digital radio platforms must get a statutory license from Sound Exchange in order to use that licensed music. <clears throat> uh, four, sync licensing fees. Ah, uh, this is what this is the one that I, that I couldn't wait to get to because this is the one where where your your music and I keep drinking water my mouth getting dry like doing all this talking um, but this is the one where sync licensing is like it, it gives your music legs and and, I, and I'm gonna try to have I like having conversations with other artists that have been tapped into sync licensing because it's just it's just a, a better conversation opposed to me just kind of explaining it myself because i'm when it comes for some reason when it comes to sync lights i'm terrible at like explaining it so i just like having the artists that are just as involved in it as me to get on this show and pretty much break down their um their journey through sync lights and i should say now sync license fees this is four like i say there's six type of uh stream there's six type of music royalties here's four sync license fees the sync license fees refer to the payment made by a company or individual to obtain the rights to use copyrighted music and synchronization with visual media. This applies to TV shows, films, commercials, video games, and online videos. The fee includes the cost of obtaining the master recording and publishing rights to the song or music, as well as any additional costs associated with the licensing process. Uh, and what I say about it as far as the publishing rights that does not mean that they'll own your publishing. It's not what that means. Now, this could be it for another episode, but there are sync licensing companies where they'll register you. Um, you will pitch your music or whatever. And this is just a side tangent, but you will pitch your music and you would own 100 percent of the uh, the writer's portion and, and, you know, the master and like how we just the master and the composition rights so of you'll own 100 percent of that. But when it comes to the publishing side. The company registering the music they already have their own publishing company so let's say if i put i have a song called the victor which i do and i pitched it to a sync licensing company on their part they'll have the publishing for it on their end because they have to register the song specifically as it relates to your company so um let's say if the company is called sync season they could register the victor they could pitch the victor as the victor for short we'll say ss for sync season so you almost gotta like retitle it, but I still own the master rights and the uh, and the, and the composition rights to that me and the producer of that song or whatever. But yeah, 
in a way it kind of it's like damn like on the publishing side of things but it, it could vary like sometimes they'll do a publishing split it, it's, it's very like i say that's a whole nother side tangent for a different episode let me stay focused but yeah it, it could vary when when it comes to pitching uh music for sync um but yeah so like i say where, where did i leave off at oh the fee includes the cost of obtaining the master recording and publishing rights to the song or music as well as any additional costs associated with the licensing process the sync licensing fee varies depending on various factors such as the length of the track the prominence of the artist or the band the popularity basically and the intended use of the music and the size of the audience so all the time like when you're when you're getting a song uh place through sync licensing or whatever it doesn't necessarily mean like whatever it's placed in that they're gonna play the whole song they made it i had a song placed it was um it was um own lane uh, own lane it was it was a joint that uh featured mod on there and uh my brother uh, black beethoven he produced it and it was on a show on mtv called siesta key and i believe it was season two if i'm not mistaken season two episode don't give me the line because i want to say episode 22 but yeah they only played it for about like 30 seconds if that we still got paid though but still you know it wasn't that long so it really the time is based on the length of the track though they say the prominence of the artist but in a lot of cases that don't matter um and then like i say the intended use of the music um unlike the other types of royalties where consumers pay for the broad permission to use almost all music in the world sync license has its own uh, niche or niche mark niche market right um and, and in ways like a lot of people consider sync license its own industry like i had somebody tell me like well being in the sync licensing business is a little bit different from being in the actual music business or like you know there's a sync license industry and there's a music industry it's almost like if you're in the sync licensing industry then you might as well consider yourself in the tv and film business well i don't want to say video game business but technically tv and film because the songs are just as a big of a part of the uh the television show or commercial or the uh film just as much as the the um the plot is you know what i'm saying like it plays a major part in it just imagine watching a tv show or a um a film and, and it's no music think about it most tv shows you watch majority of the scenes got some music playing in it somewhere or in between scenes you're hearing music or definitely for commercials and, and definitely for movies especially like those 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 i don't i guess i'm dating myself but those blockbuster films um, and then lastly, no, 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 where are we at? Where are we at? I'm sorry. It's two more, two more. <clears throat> Five, public performance royalties. Public performance royalties. That's basically, those are royalties that are collected when a song uh, featuring a specific work or composition, as we'll call it, is played in a commercial environment. Um, this is basically the entire landscape of public performance royalties that can be divided into two parts. You got the royalties that are paid out by the streaming services and royalties generated by more conventional public broadcasters, radio, TV channels, venues. Yeah, you can get paid by um, paid out royalties per the venues when you perform certain set lists. So if you got a specific set list that you perform and these venues are associated with the, uh, the performing rights organizations, you can get paid out royalties for that. And, and you might want to go if you're already registered through ASCAP or like BMI. I don't know how CSAC gets down with it, but uh, I know for sure with ASCAP and BMI, yeah, you can get paid royalties for that just based off performance 
performances like live performances uh, depending on again if that venue is associated with those performing rights organizations so definitely look into that i know they have a certain i haven't performed live in a long time but definitely look into that because yeah you can be getting paid and but you got to definitely check into it because they have a certain uh time frame quarterly i believe where you have to register those set lists for the songs you perform um then there lastly is mechanical royalties this is six mechanical royalties are basically uh due every time a copyrighted composition is reproduced or distributed in either physical or digital form uh, historically that meant mechanically producing a physical media we're talking about like cassette uh vinyl which are I don't want to say make them come back have made a comeback and you see a lot of people uh selling cassette and vinyl specifically as merch just like for collector's items um so that that's definitely a thing and cds and so forth which I'm, it's weird to me but just as much as vinyl is like selling out like everybody's moving vinyl i get it but like at the same time like if that's the case cds are nostalgic too like why aren't those why aren't those like a why is it or maybe i'm wrong but it all, I always see vinyl and I always see cassette, but damn, like CDs were technically long ago. I don't know too many people that got a CD in their car and shout out to those that do, cause I got one in mine um, that still buy CDs. Like even if you're just buying it as a collector's item, dope. But like, damn, why, why I'm not seeing, and, and it's cheaper to produce. It's cheaper to definitely press up CDs. So I'm wondering like why they aren't as in demand as like vinyl. Or maybe I just answered that because they're cheaper to produce. I don't know. Somebody answered that for me. Like, why aren't CDs as uh, more or just as in demand as vinyl and the cassettes when it comes to, uh, I guess you would call them collector's items. Now, today, through the bulk of mechanical royalties generated by digital stream platforms, anytime a user chooses to play a specific song on demand, uh, forcing a reproduction of that underlying we would say the underlying composition, the streaming services pays out the mechanical royalties. So basically every time they're streaming your music, you're supposed to get paid for that. Um, and if you're not, you need to look into it. Definitely something to look into. It's always weird to me when you see artists like on the, on the major labels, like I ain't getting paid nothing from these, uh, you know, my music being streamed. It's like, damn, I am. You know what I'm saying? Like, but then again, like, I guess with most of those major deals, it's getting chopped down in so many ways. They probably not seeing nothing off of those streaming royalties. Thus, why they performing live constantly where uh, merch comes into play, uh, doing a lot of uh, uh, cameos. You know what I'm saying? I, I guess that all plays into it. But I guess that's the difference between being independent and um, being an indie artist versus like, you know, on a major label. But at the same time, you know, those major label artists, they got the machine behind them. So it's like, it's kind of like a, I don't know, I want to say a catch 22, but it's, you know, you got to look at it. Well, well, you got a lot of popularity, you're in demand, you're doing a lot of shows, you're getting a lot of money from the live shows, whether or not they're in 360s, I don't know. I just, I'm, <laughs> nowadays we assume that a lot of people that's on major labels are in 360 deals versus the ones that probably just kind of made their own way to where, they don't have to rely on the label as much. I don't know. That's another episode in itself. I'll probably ask somebody on to uh, talk about that. But yeah, so that basically means like um, non-interactive streaming of Pandora. Like if you if you get music streamed on Pandora, they don't distribute the mechanical royalties. That's different. That goes back to what we were talking about earlier with number three, the digital performance royalties. Like I said, man, that pretty much covers it. Um, I kind of just scraped some notes together and tried to put it 
in a way to where it didn't sound all over the place and where it made sense as far as how it was worded like i said if you're a music artist and you tapped in shout out to you um you're gonna probably want to rewind it a, a few times like run the episode back or just skip to certain parts just to kind of jot down take some notes down man or look this stuff up yourself i mean that, that's that's what i kind of did like look a lot of this stuff up ask around you know if it's something i was wrong about correct me there i'm like i said i'm open to correction that's pretty much that's pretty much the breakdown of it though as far as uh the performing rights organizations we call them the pros and um music royalties in a nutshell pretty much again i got the link in the description as you're listening to this episode definitely click on that link order some merch i need to double check to see if i put up the a name tag as necessary uh, t-shirts i should have them up if not they'll be up by the time you hear this episode but again order some merch follow me on all of the uh shit we was just talking about streaming royalties show some love follow me on those streaming platforms name tag alexander on spotify apple music youtube for sure amazon music title Bandcamp definitely uh, rock with me on Bandcamp everywhere man it's on all those platforms so you know let me know if you're rocking with this episode share it with other folks you know that are music artists songwriters producers whatever covering the whole spectrum but anyway that's another episode of a name tag is necessary until next time peace a name tag is necessary